Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian, here as always with Michaela. Michaela, how's it going? You were just camping all week. How was that? It was um, great. It was great. I hadn't camped in a while. My husband hadn't camped in a while. My kiddo had never camped. Um, There's something about the great outdoors and almost dying Mm -hmm. because you Mm -hmm. make stupid decisions like don't put food in the right place. Um, I came from up north. Like I'm from Montana where there's grizzly bears and you you have to be very serious if you're going to camp because you don't want to get eaten by a grizzly bear. Um, But yeah, no, it was fun. We had a really good time. Well, that's good. Did you uh, did you get into any fun activities or have any good drinks or uh, see any good sights? I did have an amazing drink that um, I want to talk about. It's actually super easy. It consists of two things, marshmallows okay. and Bailey's Irish cream. Okay. And what you do is you roast a marshmallow mm-hmm. over a campfire and then you put the marshmallow in a cup of Bailey's. And it kind of melts and it's amazing. And it's very campfire-esque. And I totally recommend it to anybody that um, has a cooler with them when they're camping because it's it's a rite of passage. If you've not done that, Brian, I highly suggest it. It's amazing. Uh, Okay. That sounds pretty good. Like a little campfire, campsite, hot chocolate. And that sounds pretty good. I'm I'm into that. I might have to give that a try. Uh, well, what, you were camping, so what did I have to do? Uh, my parents were here visiting, so we rewatched WandaVision. So that was really fun, going back and uh, seeing that again. They had never uh, watched that one, so uh, that was good. Uh, my mom was very interested in the uh, sets, you know, because they go through the uh, different time periods. So all of the houses are, you know, made to look like the various TV houses through the decades. So mm-hmm. she was... Uh, she was the most interested in that, but yeah, that was fun getting to go back and rewatch that with them. And, you know, but now I think what we need to do is we need to go make up our own movie and that way we can rescue some people and get them home safely. Well, I've got some fake Canadian passports. Uh, let's grab ourselves a cocktail and uh, see if we can get them to Switzerland. All right. Well, we will uh, go mix up that cocktail and grab those passports and take a quick break. And we'll be right back to talk about this week's cocktail. So this week we're mixing up a cocktail to calm our nerves when we're trying to make it out of the country of Iran safely. Okay, Um, it's -hmm. called the Argo and it comes from the website Cook In Dine Out. Yeah, that's right. And so this uh, website it has a cool uh, kind of blog and it talks a little bit about this um so from from that it says that they drew inspiration from the film right so there's uh canadian whiskey because you know the the people who are in the canadian embassy uh has some orange juice for to represent you know hollywood california and then cardamom syrup for uh you know to give a nod to the cuisine of iran and that's pretty cool so it's kind of this mashup of flavors that are you know all pretty bold and unique but they come together really awesomely i thought They sure do. And it was really nice to see this drink pay homage in the not only in the name, but in the ingredients. And Mm -hmm. the blog really kind of tells the story about it. So I thought that that was really cool. So check it out. Um, We're definitely going to add it to our notes, our story notes on our website, Mm -hmm. um, as well as the recipe. 
but uh, for now, it's I, I guess I'll list everything off. It's yeah. um, one and a half ounces of Canadian whiskey. Um, if you don't know what Canadian whiskey is, a really good example is Crown Royale. Mm-hmm. Um, a half an ounce of sweet vermouth. Uh, there's a lot of great ones out there. An ounce of orange juice. Three quarters of an ounce of cardamom syrup, which, of course, because Brian is awesome, he made some himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you did with uh, three quarter cups of sugar, three quarter cups of water and cardamom pods. Yeah. About a, about a quarter of a cup of cardamom pods. Okay. So you just make, you just make the uh, simple syrup. And as soon as the sugar is dissolved, just throw those uh, cardamom into the syrup and let it steep for like an hour. And then you can, uh, I think I just use like a slotted spoon to kind of fish the pods out, or you could use like a strainer to get them out of there and keep it in the fridge for a while, just like any of your other simple syrups. But uh, it smells amazing when it's going. It sure uh, does. That, that cardamom's real uh, perfumey. Um, so yeah, it smells very lovely when it's coming together for sure. Yeah. And so you can pour this all over ice and uh, add an orange peel for garnish to make it look pretty. And um, make sure when you do the orange peel, uh, when we made these, right, we uh, twisted it to make sure that we got some of the oils kind of around the glass and Mm -hmm. uh, and then enjoy this sucker because it's really sweet. It's like sweet victory, Um, (laughs) kind of like in the movie Argo. It definitely um, tasted it tasted great. This is one of the best. Um, and cocktails we've had that's to me sounded like I wasn't going to love it because I like cardamom, but I was thinking that maybe that would overpower it. It was mm. really good. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a really nice uh, blend of ingredients with the, the whiskey and the vermouth and the orange juice. And then, yeah, it kind of gets topped off with that cardamom syrup. So you get this like pop of fragrance uh, as you're going and it just comes together really good. So uh, kudos to that blog. This one was excellent and probably have to make a few more of these as long as the cardamom syrup holds out. So yeah, it's definitely one. Um, and, and then you can, you know, do what I do and just take the syrups that you make and go find other, explore other things with it. it, it it's really neat though. I really like this one. So I hope everybody tries it because um, it is kind of a different flavor and tell us what you think. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, definitely let us know what you think about this one. And we have ours made. So why don't we take a quick break and we'll be back to talk about this week's film, Argo. Spoiler warning for Argo. If you've not yet seen Argo, press pause, go watch Argo, stop, make yourself a Argo cocktail, come back and we can chat about it. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, definitely go do all of those things because they're all excellent. So uh, this, <laughs> this, sure one came, this one came out in 2012. It was directed by a gentleman named Benjamin Affleck, and it stars uh, Ben Affleck, Brian Cranston, uh, John Goodman, and Alan, Alan Arkin. Arkin. Yeah, Alan Arkin's got a uh, nomination in the uh, Oscars that year. Uh, so this one picked up seven nominations, Michaela. Uh, pretty pretty varied uh, kind of mix of awards it got nominated for, and it ended up bringing three of those home. It sure did. Um, this was, to me, the feel-good uh, movie of the year, which is saying a lot because it's pretty uh, terrifying and thrilling, but it, it definitely did deserve the wins that it got. It got Best Picture, it um, Best uh, Writing and Editing, the editing is very similar to me and the storytelling that we loved in mm-hmm. the trial of the Chicago seven, mm-hmm. uh, because it, um, it really created this 
great mix of real news footage and real pictures um, with you know, what they had to create in order to make the film Argo. Uh, it did lose though to supporting actor, which was Alan Arkin and um, original score, sound mixing and sound editing. Mm-hmm. So that's a shame because I thought that all of those things were amazing, but um, yeah, it did win. It did win best picture as it absolutely should have. I remember this year was, you know, in the Oscars, every couple of years you get a little, well, if you follow the Oscars, every couple of years, you get a little drawn down because you're not happy with the choices. Mm-hmm. This year was one of those where I was resoundingly happy and cried tears of joy when it won. So yeah, and this this was kind of one of the odd years. Uh, it is actually very reminiscent of this year where there was a lot of really good films and really worthy films. So yeah. they all had to kind of, you know, split the pot, so to speak. So Argo won Best Picture that year, but, you know, it beat, you know, Django Unchained, Silver Linings Playbook, Lincoln. So, I mean, there were, you know, just a bunch of really good films out that year, you know, really great acting performances. So, you know, not enough awards to go around, but yeah, picked up three and uh, definitely worthy of the ones that it got. Alan Arkin is great. So he was worthy of that. And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, him and his character as we dive right into this one. So uh, this one gets started off and it's doing like a little kind of history lesson, you know, starting kind of in the time of the Persian empire up through kind of modern day, at least, you know, to the, you know, end of the 1970s of Iran, you know, talking about how, how it's being led and kind of what leads to, you know, these uprisings and protests um, that, you know, ultimately led to the capture and holding of uh, hostage of the uh, embassy workers there in Iran. And our story picks up on November the 4th, 1979, um, inside of the U.S. Embassy, and we see one of those protests going on outside. Um, and Michaela mentioned it, you know, a little bit about the editing and, you know, one of the things that we liked in Trial of Chicago 7 here, it's it's some archival footage, uh, you know, alongside of the real footage. And one of the neat things they do in this one is they actually kind of uh, saturate the film of the current footage to make it kind of mimic the way that the archival footage looked. So you really get kind of this blending of lines as to what's being, you know, filmed in 2012 and what was, you know, being filmed you know, they're at the end of the 1970s. Yeah, I mean, I one of the things that I noticed when I rewatched this uh, for the purpose of the podcast was that they, the Warner Brothers uh, sign and insignia before the movie even begins mm-hmm. is the 1979 Warner Brothers logo. Um, it is very different than it is today, but I remember it from my childhood. So watching it this time, I, I hadn't noticed it the first time I saw it. But I noticed it this time, and you're right. I mean, they they the saturation of the film um, showing, especially the the beginning where you have the protesters outside. Mm-hmm. It, it, you, I didn't know uh, if the if that was archival footage or not. It was so well done, and mm-hmm. at the end of the film, they kind of show you um, pictures that they were drew the inspiration from, and it's really amazing. Um, mm. how well um, and true to form they were um, to really try and tell this story in a very true and real way, which makes me happy. Um, but yeah, this, uh, this, this protest looks pretty tough. Um, there's a lot of people screaming a lot of things. You know, they're, they're walled. Uh, there's a big gate around the U.S. Embassy, and it shows people that are in the embassy trying to get visas. They're, they're Iranian uh, individuals that are trying to get a visa to the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not, not feeling real comfortable. They're a little scared because they can hear the protests. Um, and then 
people are have been calling for help. They've uh, tried to call, you know, the Iranian police. They're not really getting a lot of support. I think they've been in this office for hours mm -hmm. and they kind of make the call to go ahead and start, you know, burning all of their, you know, confidential records and breaking their um, passport seals and all of that, because they think that, you know, soon they're going to, they're going to break through these gates and everyone's going to come in and it will be really bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely a tense situation for sure. I, they're standing at the window, um, you know, two of the gentlemen, and they're like, "These windows are bulletproof, right?" And you know, they're like, "Well, I don't know. They've they've never been tested, so I guess they're going to find out." And yeah, like you said, there are people in there waiting to get uh, visas for entry into the U.S. And the feeling you get in from the embassy employees is that you know, if if the protesters kind of break through the walls and get inside, they're going to kill all of those all of the Iranians that are trying to get to the United States are going to kill all of the uh, embassy workers. Uh, it's all going to be bad. So they have kind of like their own um, military force. I don't know who it was at the time. They don't, they don't really say if it's just kind of like their own security people or if it's the Marine Corps. I know that now the um, embassies are under the protection of like the Marine Corps. Um, so I don't know if that's who they were, if they, if it was just kind of like a, uh, you know, another like law enforcement thing of, of Americans there, but they're, they're kind of, you know, they're getting their uh, riot gear. I want to say getting... they're not Marines because yeah. they're, they're really afraid of, I mean, they, they don't paint them in the greatest light here. I will say <laughs> they're, yeah. they're like, don't shoot anyone because we'll be in charge of starting a war. And then they're like, we'll talk, you know, one of them decides to go out to try and talk some sense into this mob of very angry people. And mm. of course they immediately turn him around, tie him up, um, threaten him and he's then you know forced to ask them to open the door and they think that he's going to be killed and so it's uh, it's it doesn't seem to me that they are um that that they are marines maybe they were maybe they were and it was a really tough situation who knows but um yeah yeah for sure but he's yeah he, the kind of the leader of this group is you know like you said he's telling them don't shoot anyone because if you do you're going to start a war and if we shoot one of them they're going to come in and kill all of us so you know uh, be be uh be careful with what you're doing and they're they're kind of just you know they're forced basically to you know kind of let these uh, angry protesters into the building and you know kind of take over right they don't their right. backs were up against the wall there wasn't really anywhere to go but there are six of the employees from the embassy who are kind of off in a separate part of the building and are able to you know kind of get out on foot on some you know kind of a back road out of the back entrance to the embassy and uh, make their escape uh, away from you know captivity. Right. Yeah. They 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 do their job, which is to you know shred. They try to burn a bunch of stuff. The furnace stops working after a little while, so then they shred everything. And then they, the, but these six, they're looking at this, uh, they're able to see that these people have kind of started to break in and then they're starting to break into the building itself. And they're on a, they're, they are on the only part of the building that has access to the street. So one of the gentlemen uh, suggests, Hey, we need to get out now. If we're going to leave, we need to leave. And they're really pretty lucky because while this whole protest and, you know, uh, mob of people is coming through one side, I guess the other side of the block is totally unprotected um, mm -hmm. by this mob. So they're very lucky they get to, they get out and 
it shows it will, we hear from various members of the American government that hears about this, that they had tried to go to a bunch of different embassies to get help. And mm-hmm. the Canadian embassy actually took them in and they were now hiding out inside the ambassador's home, the, mm-hmm. uh, the Canadian ambassador's family home. And uh, there's a bunch of um, great exchanges where, you know, Brian Cranston and the gentleman who runs the, he runs, he's the secretary of defense mm-hmm. and he's played brilliantly by the guy from um, yeah, Friday, Friday Night, Night Lights. Lights. Yeah. Kyle Chandler. Kyle Chandler. Um, his name. Yeah. He's playing uh, Hamilton Jordan and yeah, they're having kind of this, you know, exchange about what's going on, where these people got to, uh, what the sort of state of affairs are, you know, about this. And that kind of caps off like this very frantic, like first, like 10 minutes of the film, right? It's very, very tense. Um, You know, you don't really, it's hard to kind of get a good grip on on what's happening. So yeah, it kind of goes back to Washington, DC, and you get sort of a, you know, it takes kind of a, a slower kind of breakdown as to what actually, you know, these, these events were. Um, Right. Yeah, they talk about, you know, because this has immediately happened and we found out that six made it out, but there are 60 that were inside the building that were all taken hostage. And mm-hmm. so it's within it's within the day, the first day that this has occurred. And so they're having these very fast paced conversations about what are they going to do and what do we do about the six that are kind of hanging out and hiding. And they make the decision that, you know, they're going to negotiate with um, you know, certainly the head of the government, it's uh, Jimmy Carter's president at the time, is it certainly we're, we're going to figure this out. They'll be home in a day and we'll be able to deal with these six at another time. Now is not the mm-hmm. time to go in and try and rescue these six. And so you're filled with this idea that, oh, yeah, maybe it's going to be fine. And then the very next scene is a um, kind of a pan shot of the CIA in uh, Virginia, and it shows that it's been 69 days since uh, the hostages were taken hostage and they're still in their building, which means that the six are still hiding out inside the uh, ambassador to Canada's home. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, over two months later, um, we're kind of picking the story back up. So uh, we get our, our first look at uh, Ben Affleck here in his role. He's playing the CIA agent, Tony Mendez, uh, he's laying in bed, he gets a call, you know, he's looking pretty disheveled, but, you know, gets up, gets around, goes into the office, and he has uh, kind of this quick meeting uh, with his boss, a uh, gentleman by the name of Jack O'Donnell, and he's played by Brian Cranston, and kind of giving him the rundown, right, basically like recapping, you know, what happened, right, they took over, and these six are hiding out, the other the remaining ones are in the basement of the embassy with guns to their head. So we were trying to work on getting them out, but now, you know, it's been 69 days. So we need to try to get the, the other ones out, right? The Canadians can't harbor these guys for guys and girls for forever. So though, so they're kind of on their way to a meeting to sort of decide what they want. What kind of options do they have, Michaela? The best option on the table is to ride some bicycles. They think that they all probably know how to ride bikes or they can at least teach them inside of the Canadian uh, house, but get them some bicycles and get them to the Turkish border. That seems to be the uh, best option. 300 miles away in the middle of winter. It's a great idea. And 
I love how this meeting goes because it really does impress upon me that even people in government are just doing their best. And sometimes their ideas are horrible, which we all know, but it's still really great to see in action because Ben Affleck's character, Tony Mendez, is first he's he's told that he's kind of consulting on this, but it's not really his his gig. Um, mm-hmm. He's not going to be able to run um, uh, they, what, it, what they call it X. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. But yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's something it, you get the you get the uh, impression. He's just kind of a, a he's kind the of guy specialist on these people, kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they don't want him to run it. But then at the end of this conversation, he says, well, wait, let me get this straight. So it's in the, it's in winter. There's snow on the ground. You can see that. Um, when are we going to when are we going to do this in six in you know three months? Um, you know that 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 this idea is terrible. This is a terrible idea. And then they bring up this idea. Oh, maybe there'll be. Um, English teachers and there'll be Canadian English teachers. And he says, why would, why would they do that? (laughs) Why would anybody with an American accent and be in Iran at the time? That doesn't make any sense. And then they were like, well, maybe there'll be like UN workers um, feeding hungry children. And they've got to be hungry children in Iran, right? They've got to be starving people somewhere. And they're like, there's snow on the ground. There's no seeds to feed the hungry children. And he's just shooting down every one of these ideas. And then at the end he's like look nobody wants me to come in here but you don't want to handle this yourself this is not something you guys want to do you want to hand it to me and i will i will figure it out yeah he's uh yeah kind of going through all these options they're all they're all terrible that they're presenting but and he's you know basically telling them them that and the the crux of all of this and he says you know there's there's six missing people and they can do math they're going to figure that out eventually and you know then what happens to to everyone right you need to get this done before they figure it out so uh yeah we get kind of we get kind of a flashback or flash around kind of you know to the hostages at the uh embassy right so he, he says they're going to figure this out so we see the hostages at the embassy um they mentioned in the meeting that they had like a sweatshop of kids putting these shredded documents back together. So you'll just see like a room of kids just reassembling uh, these documents. Um, and then it kind of, you know, goes over to the six that are in hiding at the ambassador's house. And all of this is kind of spliced with um, some news footage uh, from, you know, here in the U.S. talking about the uh, hostage situation, uh, kind of giving an update on on how things are going. But yeah, right now there's there's a few plans being floated out there and they're all bad. All bad. Well, Tony, um, Tony Mendez, he goes home, he's having a cheeseburger by himself, but he calls his son and uh, it's a really great scene. He asks his kid, you know, what'd you do today in school? And he's like, nothing like most kids. And he's like, come on, something happened. What did you do today? Tell me something. And he says, I got baseball cards after school. That was fun. And he's like, what are you watching? He says, oh, Planet of the Apes. So he turns it on channel five because they're only like six channels in 1979. And they're kind of watching TV together going over their day, even though he is obviously separated from the mom and kind of trying to talk to his son. It's a really cool scene. Um, And it is during this moment, though, where he's watching this film and he's talking to his son that he gets the idea to maybe uh, maybe have a different angle to bring these, these, these people home. And that is that he will make them a Canadian film crew that have been trying to do 
to, to scout filming locations, one of which being in Iran, in Tehran. And, mm-hmm. you know, if they're, if he can go in and he can convince them, you know, get them their stories, have them show up at the airport and, and get them, you know, out and extradited to Switzerland, that might work. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the plan that he wants to put together. Um, and kind of, we get these scenes kind of with Tony putting this plan together and it kind of just keeps flashing back to check in on, on these six uh, stranded uh, survivors there, the other hostages and kind of, you know, the Iranian uh, government or military, you know, tr- putting these pieces together. So, you know, obviously uh, tensions are running high kind of in this uh, Canadian ambassador's house. Um, and then, you know, meanwhile, they're, they're starting to put the uh, pieces together that, so, you know, they don't have all of the uh, embassy workers, right? There are right. some missing, they've, they've kind of put that together. So it's just, it just kind of, you know, pushes the kind of the narrative along, right? That there's, yeah. there's some pressure to, to get this thing done. But yeah, the idea is to basically make up a movie and, you know, you can't just say that you're making a movie because they're going to, you know, look or call someone and be like, no, this, this thing's totally made up. So it has to be like actually believable. They have to basically get a like $20 million, you know, film off the ground kind of in running. Right. So, so Tony heads out to Hollywood to meet with someone and it's someone, you know, who I believe has uh, an Academy Award for his work on uh, Planet of the Apes, a gentleman by the name of John Chambers. That's right. Um, And he's played by John Goodman, who is a gem and John Goodman is amazing in everything he does. And I completely forgot that he was in this, Um, but so good. Love John Goodman. Uh, And yeah, they're there to make a movie. Yeah. So he's, He's making, I don't know, he's in the middle of making some alien film where they've got a manatar tusks and stuff. And he's been slapping this stuff on a, on a person, on an actor. Oh yeah. It's the best line. He goes into the, uh, on the set and the, uh, I don't, the assistant director or someone comes up to John Chambers and is like, he's complaining. He says he can't act in the minotaur costume. <laughs> and John Goodman just says, if he could act, you wouldn't be in a minotaur costume. <laughs> That's right. It's so good. Um, and so, you know, Tony, Tony Mendez's character knows John because John Chambers actually used to work in the CIA and um, says, hey, I need your help. We need to do this. And he's like, well, OK, we can create a production studio, but we're going to need a real script and we're going to need a real producer. Like we're going to we're going to need we're going we're gonna to need a good director. And so uh, there needs to be enough believability. And of course, you know, when Tony Mendez is pitching this to Brian Cranston, uh, his boss, right, is Brian Cranston character. He's like, mm-hmm. we're going to fund a movie like we're, this. Is what we're, This is the great idea that you have. And he's like, yeah, this is this is totally going to work. Um, and so they're um, they 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 find a gentleman by the name of Lester Siegel, um, who is is willing to, to help him out with this. Um, he's one of the, one of the very few in the circle of trust. And he says, mm-hmm. well, we're going to have to find a script. So then there's this amazing scene. Um, they have 72 hours to get a script and they're looking through all of these, you know, ginormous pages and pages of, uh, books of scripts. Right. And, uh, and they find a script called Argo, and I guess Argo is short for Argonaut. It's supposed to be this amazing ship that uh, kind of go- is going through space. And it's this space um, 
thriller. Now this was 1979. It was right after, um, you know, Star Wars took Mm -hmm. the world by storm. So they thought this could be a believable story that we could sell. And in the script itself, it's talking about having a Middle Eastern kind of vibe and feel. And so Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, this will be great. This is the one we need. So of course they need to, they need to actually purchase the script. Uh, that takes a little bit of doing. I love the scene where Alan Arkin's character, which is he plays Lester Siegel, goes in to speak um, with the the company that um, owns the script because they want to option it out. They want to purchase the option. And mm-hmm. the, the tit for tat that those two characters have is amazing. Um and they end up getting the script for like $10,000, which is pretty cheap um, because it's not a great script. I mean, let's be clear, it's not, but they're going to turn it into something. Um, yeah, that was kind of the kind of the thing, right? So in the late 70s, you had kind of all of these Star Wars knockoffs. Everyone was trying to trying to cash in. So making a science fiction film in that time period would have been, you know, pretty believable. That's that's what they were doing. So, yeah, so they. They go and make the make the pitch. They acquire the script. So kind of their plan is in motion, right? The CIA can now kind of present this as a viable plan. Um, but meanwhile, we're finding out that, you know, there's more security going into the uh, airport there in Tehran. So that's not good, right? So a little bit more of time pressure, a little bit higher stakes now. So they really need to do a good job of making this, this story, this fake movie believable. Um, and I think it's Alan Arkin's like, you know, if, if you want this movie to be realistic, you got to get the media on board. They can sell it for you. You know, we don't have to do that. Hollywood can't do it. We're a town full of liars. So you need to have the uh, press come in and do the work for you. So they have this big kind of elaborate like table read party. You know, everyone's there in costume. Uh, There's, you know, champagne and wine. All these Hollywood executives are there and the press is there. Um, But yeah, it kind of sells this, uh, sells this movie, I guess, is yeah. something that's happening. So it starts, you know, getting some buzz in the, you know, Hollywood Reporter and the newspapers and all of those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they've got this great article now. They've got a couple, they've got storyboards of how they're going to execute this film. They've got the studio. It's uh, Studio Six Productions, I think is what they called it. Um, mm-hmm. So they've got business cards. They've got posters. They're all ready to go. Um, in the meantime, you know, the the Shah, which is the former leader of Iran, he has been, you know, he'd been extradited uh, to the United States. And so the one of the things that the one of the demands that these hostage holders have made is that they need to extradite the Shah back to Iran so that he could be tried and killed, certainly. So mm-hmm. Um, the problem is, is that the Shah was a was a person who had a lot of friends and family who were also trying to get out of Tehran. And so they keep cracking down on the security. Right. And they don't um, it, it's 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 a very tough time. So they don't really hold trials. They just kind of string you up and kill you um, if you're even suspected of being an American or if you've had if you know they they're taught they tell a story of someone that they executed on the spot because they found that they had um, American names in their um in their diary, like in just on them. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it's getting, it's getting really bad. And they've, the, the poor, the poor six folks that are in this house, you know, they're, they're trying to keep it together and they're it's a, it's two married couples and, and then two other gentlemen, and they are kind of lamenting kind of how they got to this place. And, 
you know, mm-hmm. one couple in particular is like, I should never have, I, you know, she, my wife told me three months ago, you know, before things started getting really bad that she wanted to leave. Why didn't I leave? And, you know, now we're, we're, we're it's very, very likely that we're all going to end up dead. And it's really scary. So it's definitely kind of as things are heating up on one side of the world to try and bring them back, things are heating mm-hmm. up in the middle of Tehran because, you know, they're running out of time. They're, they're really getting concerned and interspersed with this are the scenes from the little sweatshop that they keep talking about where there are actually kids that are piecing together these, you know, shredded documents. Yeah. And this is absolutely true. I mean, this, this happened. So they were, it took months and months and months for them to do this, but they, they pieced together every document that they had to try and figure out because I guess somebody, in the embassy was not smart enough uh, to think that maybe we don't need a list uh, and pictures of every person that works here, just in case. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, tension, tensions are getting high for sure, but the plan seems like it's you know kind of ready to go. So they've made their pitch. They've kind of signed off on it, at least for right now. So Tony is on his way. He's flying over to, to Turkey and then on to Iran from from there and Tony's uh, having a little exchange uh, with his boss, you know, Jack O'Donnell. Um, and he says, I wonder if I should take a book for prison. <laughs> and, you know, Brian Cranston, he's like, he's like, they're going to kill you before they send you to prison. And so yeah. oh, don't uh, worry about yeah. prison. You'll be dead yeah. before you get there. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about that. So, but yeah, he's on his way. So he gets to Istanbul. So he gets some uh, pretty cool shots of the blue mosque and the Hagia Sophia uh, really cool there in Istanbul. And he's there, he's meeting kind of an, an informant, I guess, kind of thing. And he's giving Tony kind of the rundown on how things are going at the airport, right? He's like, he's like, these are the documents that you get when you get in there. They're going to take this one. They'll keep this one so they can check it when they, when you're leaving, kind of gives them, you know, sort of the, like I said, kind of the rundown on the way that things are going. But, you know, Tony still has to get into Iran. You can't just go there um, at this time. I don't, I don't think you can just go there uh, now, even today. So he's on his way. He goes into the, uh, Iran embassy in uh, Istanbul there to yep. get his to get his visa for his travel has a little exchange he's pretty uh pretty clever about it because they want to know you know obviously why didn't you go to the embassy in Canada if you're supposedly Canadian and get this and he's like he's like I wish I could have but look my boss just you know sent over a message that I need to go here and look at this uh do this uh, location scouting so uh that's where we're at and uh he does he gets his uh stamp to gain entry into iran so the plan is in motion plan is in motion and um you know there's a couple of things that that informant does tell him you know hey you're gonna want to pay homage and go to the you know institute of culture when you get to iran you want to get a letter um saying that they're welcoming you and you know you were on a scouting mission so uh, you know he's had to show that he's been to a bunch you know a bunch of other areas within uh the middle east because they've all been scouting you know and we just happen to pick iran as well um so uh he does that and uh it's a very interesting conversation because they basically call his bluff right at Mm -hmm. the institute of culture and they're like hey um your team should uh come to one of the mar- the bazaar markets and walk through and take some pictures and look at some stuff if if you're really interested in scouting um and so of course he's like great <laughs> i'm going to have to go find these people give them give them their information so that they can memorize who they're supposed to be and then try and have them out in the middle of this you know market where 
you know, if they drop their cover, they're going to be surrounded by a mob of people that want to kill them. This, this sounds like a great idea. This is awesome. So, but he has to do it because if he doesn't, then it's going to look really strange and they're, they're never going to make, even make it to the airport. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. So, uh, they get, they get signed off on, he gets, he gets to uh, meet up with these, uh, six members of the uh, embassy uh, gives them their identity and they're on their way. Yeah. To the, to the grand bazaar, right. To uh, do some location scouting. Um, they meet kind of a, a guide there who's sort of leading them through and they're doing their best to, uh, to kind of play their parts. I think the, uh, the gentleman who's supposedly doing the, uh, the filming or the cinematography, his role, he's holding the thing backwards and, uh, you know, yeah. so trying to, trying to do that. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the women in the group who's I, or the I don't know associate producer or something like that. She's she's taking some pictures. You know, something that you would probably do if you're uh, doing some location scouting. But uh, you know, one of the gentlemen at the bazaar does not take uh, very kindly to that. Um, and you know, so they have this big confrontation there. You don't really know how it's going to uh, shake out. But you know, fortunately for for the crew here, you know, everything seems to seems to kind of work out they end up making it out of there and back to the house and you know the the plan is still going which is good because we find out kind of in the uh, interim the Canadian ambassador uh, their housekeeper they think might have told someone that there are you know <laughs> six uh, people that we don't know about living inside of this house so you know the Canadian ambassador he's like you know we have to get them out of here right we don't know how much more time we have the canadian government's wanting us to leave and right. you know abandon abandon the the place so you know the sooner the better for this so yeah 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 it's it's a very tense um situation with the housekeeper she asks uh some questions uh while she's cleaning up she's like your guests never seem to leave um and she's got to have noticed that they've been here hmm, about the same time that the hostages have been missing so but they don't um, they don't they don't know if they can trust her. But um, there's another scene where a bunch of people kind of show up unexpectedly at the gate at the front gate of the ambassador's house. And she comes mm-hmm. out and she um, lies for them, actually, and says, oh, um, these people are coming to do a movie and they've been here two days. Um, mm-hmm. Every you know, and then she's really convincing and says everybody in, in this Canadian house are all friends of Iran. Like you got you guys have nothing to worry about. And they're like, yep. okay, we'll take your word for it. But yeah, it, it's, it's, it's go time. Like things either they have to leave like tomorrow or they're all going to get in trouble. And it's worth noting that the Canadian ambas- ambassador and his wife, they faced a uh, certain death as well. Right. Because mm-hmm. not only were oh, these yeah. people considered spies, but then the, these were aiding and abetting in the spies trying to get out. So it's very, very tense. Um, they were probably terrified and um, Tony Mendez's character, well, Tony Mendez asks them, says, you know, do you guys know what you're doing? And they said, well, we took them in, you know, we knew what was a risk we decided to take, you know, two months ago. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we know, but yeah, it, we need to hurry. <laughs> you know, you can tell he's like, I really don't want to die. Can we figure this out? So. Yes. Yeah, so they're going, they're kind of doing like a little, uh, he's doing a little interrogation with them. He's kind of telling them, you know, about how things are going to go at the airport. And one of the gentlemen, um, you know, one of the American embassy workers, he asked Tony, he's like, you know, are these stories going to make a difference when there's a gun to our head? And he's like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to, <laughs> your story is going to hopefully help you keep from having a gun to your head, right? Yeah. That's the point of point of what we're doing. So 
it's kind of the last night they're all there together. Uh, you know, nerves are probably high. So they're all having a drink of, uh, I don't know, they're probably having an Argo. It's what they should have been having that night. They uh, drop a record on. So Led Zeppelin's uh, When the Levee Break starts playing, uh, which yeah. is pretty great. Um, you know, they're, you know, they're all excited. They, they think they're going to try to get out of there. Um, I guess excited and probably deathly afraid for their lives. But, you know, they're, they're having kind of this, this one last thing. And we find out that uh, Washington, D.C. has decided that they're uh, not going to go forward on this plan, right? Kind of they're pulling the plug on this thing at the last second. They're just going to send in a team to uh, rescue them, I guess, you know, uh, kind of a military operation uh, going on. So Tony, you know, goes back to his room, you know, across town there, and he's kind of sitting there alone drinking some whiskey and, you know, kind of just thinking about, uh, his plan and the new plan for the military to come in, you know, and it, it's not sitting well with him. So the next morning he's, he's kind of late to get to the, you know, to the group to pick him up, but he eventually, eventually goes and he calls back to his boss, Jack, and he just says, you know, I, I don't feel good about that other plan. We're going, we're going right now. Yep. Uh, These people are our responsibility. We said we would take care of them and we're going to get them out. Yeah, exactly. So, so he shows up and, you know, they're like, okay, let's, let's go, you know, you're late, but plan's still on. So they're on their way to the airport. Uh, but, you know, unfortunately, Washington DC had put the brakes on this plan. So they don't have any plane tickets. So you get, you get kind of this uh, very great kind of couple of scenes with uh, Jack O'Donnell, you know, Brian Cranston's character trying to get these, these things, you know, back in action. He's trying to call to the secretary of uh, defense there. Um, yeah, a Hamilton Jordan. Kyle Chandler, right? Yeah, Kyle Chandler from Friday Night Lights. Uh, he's not taking calls, you know, of course, because that's something that, he's, that you should do. He's when the, very important and busy. When the uh, CIA calls. So, uh, but, you know, <laughs> Jack, Jack O'Donnell, CIA agent, he knows. He's like, where do his kids go to school? So he just calls him up and says he's from the school and gets him on the phone. Um, yeah, so they're like, well, we put the brakes on that. He's like, it doesn't matter if you put the brakes on that because they're going, they need to get tickets because if they're not there, when by the time they get there, then they're all going to get shot on site. So. Uh, and it's amazing because even, even in 1979, right, they were able to call, they were able to kind of figure it out and somehow it showed up on the computer, but it is, it is very, very tense. The, the, this really starts the clock ticking for the next 15 minutes of very, very, very tense watching. Um, I don't know if I've ever been so riveted watching the TV because Tony Mendez is looking at the, um, woman who's at the ticket counter and she's like i'm sorry sir i just don't have those reservations and he's like can you just check one more time and she says oh yes very well then so she retypes everything and sure enough they just show up and she says oh, i'm sorry they're here now and he's like thank god you know he <laughs> kind of opens his eyes up to the heavens to thank the maker right he's like this is this is great and so he has sort of prepared this group of six people, right? They needed to look um, different than they normally look, but just like their passports. That was mm -hmm. uh, real interesting. And then he said, look, you're gonna go through three checkpoints. The first is just to check your passport. The second, they're gonna you know, have this sheet of paper that you are not, you are going to have, but they are not going to have the other one because the other one they took when you entered uh, the country, which we want to say was two days ago. So they're not going to be able to find that. We're going to hope that they think that they lost it. And if you believe they lost it, they're going to believe they lose it. Okay. And then mm -hmm. the third one 
is the worst one because all of these people were schooled in the United States. They're all looking for six Americans. They're going to grill you. And that's, and once you get through that, we should be okay. But that's kind of the lay of the land that he gives these folks from Mm -hmm. the day before. So when he hands them, you know, their files where they have to learn everything about this, these new people and pretend to be them for the sake of this, um, the sake of this trip. So they luckily they get through the first checkpoint um, after this, but it's a little scary. <laughs> um, and then they get to the second checkpoint and it's another riveting moment where they're asking, they can't find the sheet. Um, and so they go into some back room and check some things out and they ask him, you know, what are you guys doing here? And the gentleman who is supposed to be the director, mm-hmm. um, he's trying to tell the story and he says like, Oh yeah, I, I don't know what happened with all of ours. <laughs> you know, And you think there it's going to be the end, but they end up going back um, into this back room and making a couple calls and then deciding, okay, I guess it's fine. And so they get to go through to the third mm-hmm. checkpoint. Yeah. So they get to the, get to the third kind of and final checkpoint. And it's, it's kind of neat when they go back, it, when you see like that scene where they're doing like, Ben Affleck's character, you know, Tony's kind of going through this interrogation. He's like, you know, where are you, where were you born? Where do you live? You know, what is your father's name? You know, where did you go to school? You know, all of these, all of these things, all of this, you know, kind of deep dive on information, but they get to this third checkpoint and that's, you know, that's where things, you know, really start to amp up. Right. So this checkpoint's kind of run by this uh, military uh, group from Iran. And like you said, they're all, you know, educated in Europe and America, they kind of know the things that they're looking for. And, you know, even if they have the, you know, kind of slightest hint that something's out of place, then, then that's it. And they are going through and they actually get detained. They're not going to be able to get on the plane. They're kind of shuffled off into the separate room and they're going through the gentleman, you know, is yelling at them in Farsi, but luckily one of the embassy workers uh, can speak Farsi. So, you know, he's able yeah, so he's able to to communicate with them and, you know, pulls out the storyboards and, you know, really does a good job of selling this thing. And, you know, had it not been for him, this thing probably would have fallen apart because uh, at least the way it's portrayed in the film, you didn't you didn't get the uh, indication that Tony really had uh, any uh, more wild cards up his sleeve. Right. It was just going to kind of be up to them. So they do kind of start to buy the story and are going to check it out. And that's where we flash back to California and get a little bit more tension. That's right, because since they uh, shut this down like the day before, they call John Chambers, which is played by John Goodman, and say, yep, we're not doing this. Uh, go ahead and shut the whole the, this fake studio down. And so John Goodman and uh, or John Chambers and uh, Lester, they decide to go for a sandwich or a cup of coffee or something. So they leave mm-hmm. their office, even though they're supposed to be waiting there to answer the phone if anybody calls to try and verify that Studio Six is real, that the movie is real, that any of this is real. So um, they're on their way back. You know, they uh, have to walk through a, a studio uh, shot. And so they're they are detained <laughs> by, by one of the assistant producers saying, you can't come through here because we're shooting a fight scene. And so they're sitting there and then of course the fight scene doesn't go right. So they have to reshoot it and they're retaking it. And the gentlemen, for whatever reason, they're in a hurry to get back. Um, So they're like, yeah, you know, I guess we're in the movie, call my agent. You know, finally they, Alan Arkin's Mm -hmm. characters had enough, right? So they get in and they can hear (laughs) um, the phone ringing because 
the gentle, the gentleman who's kind of detained in charge of detaining um, these seven individuals has been calling and calling and the phone has been ringing and ringing. And so he's about to hang up the phone and um, further detain these folks when um, John Chambers quickly answers and says, Studio Six. And they mm-hmm. said, yes, I, I'd like to speak with uh, Bob Baker, or I, uh, I guess it's uh, Tony Mendez's cover, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Higgins. Yeah, and he uh, can, you know, I'd like to speak to him. And he says, oh, sorry, he's out shooting. He's on location doing a scout search. Can I help you? And then he just hangs up because he buys it. He buys yeah, the, the guy, story. That guy, just, that guy just hangs up. So, so yeah, so you have kind of this uh, stress of them getting back to answer this ringing phone. You get the stress of them in the airport. And you also have another layer of stress because um, it seems that, you know, kind of in the sweatshop, they've pieced enough of these faces back together and they're running them, you know, up there into, you know, go break into the Canadian embassy um, to try to find, you know, these people. And when they get there, you know, everything's gone, all of the, you know, all the telex machines and all of the documents are burnt and broken and things. So they know that they're, they're out of there, they're on their way to the airport. So it's kind of a real race against the clock, right, to get these uh, six people, plus Tony, onto the plane into the air before, uh, you know, the the military gets to the airport and yeah. ground grounds the plane. So it's it's kind of this, yeah, it's this race against the clock. They get out onto the plane, they take their seats, um, and the plane starts to take off. You just see like this, you know, armored truck and a couple of police cars uh, pull out onto the onto the runway, and they're you know in hot pursuit. But you know, the plane takes off and just just clears the uh, clears the gate and is up in the air. And uh, they at first they start to they give a little cheer back at the CIA. And I, th- I think it's, um, you know, uh, Brian Cranston's character, uh, Jack O'Donnell, he says, no, just wait. Um, and then you'll see they're, you know, kind of in the plane for a little bit and they finally come over and make the announcement that they can uh, start serving alcohol because they're out of the Iran uh, airspace. So that's, that's official. They're out of the, out of the country now. And that's kind of when the uh, celebration uh, starts and the size of relief start happening. Yeah, it's 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 very stressful this part of the film because you're you don't know and this is 1979 a lot has happened um and so as an american watching this I'm I I you know I, I'm like oh god do they shoot the plane down what do they do oh my gosh and you know they they really that really happened where they got very very close to being detained um as they were leaving and so just the the sheer amount of nerves I I can't I would have been crying in my seat as soon as I got on the plane. So I would have been, I would have totally never made it out of there alive. Um, so it's, it's very great. Um, they start pouring champagne, all the, the couples are hugging. And, and then that one gentleman that we talked about that ended up kind of saving the day, his, the actor's name is Scoot McNary. He's played, uh, he's playing a gentleman by the name of Joe Stafford. You know, this whole time when, um, Tony Mendez was trying to get these people prepared. He was the most negative, right? And he was the one who said, I, sh- I should have gotten my wife out. I've put her in this predicament. I'm mm-hmm. never going to make that mistake again. He was the kind of the negative Nancy of this whole thing. He was like, this is never going to work. You guys are going to get us killed. This is a horrible idea. Um, and then he totally comes through when he's like talking about the storyboard and he's telling what happens. And, you know, he's trying to explain because he's the only one that can speak Farsi. He's trying to explain, you know, know that this actually is a really respectful film because of course they have a problem with the 
poster because they've got a half naked chick on it. And so he's like, no, 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 it's a, it's a family film and there's a father and a son and they fly in through the, you know, it's so great. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he ends up walking up to Tony because this was back when planes were not tiny, I guess, and you could do this. And he shakes Tony's hand and um, says, thank you, you know, uh, because, you know, it, Tony never gave up on them, right? He ended up mm-hmm. defying orders in order <laughs> to get them out. Um, so uh, yeah. yeah, and then the, the excitement on this plane is great. The And it filters, right? There's different scenes where you've got the Hollywood crew. So John Chambers and Lester are uh, really excited as well. They're um, mm-hmm. super thrilled that it worked. They're like, it, it totally worked. And everybody in... Virginia and the CIA is really excited. There's, there's just, there's just a lot. It's a very, very enriching feeling. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they make it out, they make it to Switzerland and uh, back home to the U S you know, so, you know, kind of job done, everyone's back home safe, which is great. So uh, yeah, you get kind of these little uh, mini celebrations at kind of the locations of the film. And then you'll get, you know, some footage of, uh, you know, honoring, you know, these six uh, men and women from the uh, U.S. Embassy there, you know, they're uh, giving thanks to the Canadian government and the Canadian uh, embassy and ambassador for taking them in and harboring them. Um, they made it out as well, which is, which is good. So, um, you know, everyone kind of safe, you know, from, from this predicament. And what about for our, you know, leader of this thing, Tony Mendez. So he's going to get a little bit of recognition, but uh, problem is, is this mission's classified. So no one ever gets to find out about it, right? So he says, wait, they're going to give me a medal and then <laughs> take it away from me. Uh, yep, pretty much. So Yep, pretty much. So it was really key um, that they, you know, kind of blame, blame Canada. They, they blame Canada for this, right? It was really key that Canada took all the credit for getting these folks out. Um, And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the footage shows the prime minister or prime minister, the ambassador and his wife and um, everybody, you know, Tony is nowhere to be found. He's not mentioned. And uh, it's really a a sad but sweet scene because Brian Cranston's character, you know, Tony's boss, he's like, you know, the president really likes you. He wants to give you this intelligence star. And before seeing this film, I had never, I didn't know that that was a thing that actually existed. So, Mm -hmm. but, and the, and the first thing Tony Mendez does is if, if we move the, if we move the date a week, the date of the award ceremony a week, my son can go, that'd be really cool. And of course, Brian Cranston says, well, it's classified. So, you know, uh, we're going to have the ceremony, but no one's going to be there and no one's going to know about it. And, um, it's, uh, he says, ah, you know, it's just kind of the way it is, I guess. But, um, and then Tony Mendez goes home to his house where, where his son is and his, um, his wife. I, you know, you don't know, they don't really talk about what happened. Um, if, you know, they were separated, um, he's still wearing a wedding ring through this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, he's obviously, uh, you know, feeling like he wants to patch things up. And it's this really great moment where he opens the door, his wife's there. Um, she knows probably a little bit about what he does for a living. And he does this, it's really kind of eye-opening because it's at this point that I realized he probably did a lot of these things all the time where he was in imminent danger trying to help Mm -hmm. people um, that Americans cared about, you know, whether they were Americans or whatever, you know, extradite themselves from really dangerous situations. 
Right. And uh, and there are people in the world that that do this, that are real live 007 ish kind of spies. Right. And so she, you know, they embrace and his son comes down. His son's really excited to see him. And it kind of closes out with saying that the, you know, the Iranian hostages or well, the hostages that were in Iran, um, mm-hmm. they were finally released after 444 days. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a long a little- time. That is a long time and a lot of uh, perseverance and, you know, luckily a lot of cool heads, you know, kind of got got all of them, you know, back home safely. But yeah, 444 days um, in captivity, you know, not knowing. So that's that's forever. And uh, but, you know, Tony did get his medal back eventually. Right. Uh, So he sure did. And President Clinton. Yeah. President Clinton uh, declassified the mission in 1997. So he got his medal. Um, and then also John Chambers also received the medal, the intelligence star for uh, his his role. Or I don't know if it was the intelligence star. It was the intelligence something, but I guess it's the uh, highest kind of uh, intelligence award that a civilian could get for his role in, in this as well. So that's that's pretty great. And then, yeah, the, the film kind of closes out there, but just you know, briefly into the credits, you get um, some archival footage. Um, you get a uh, really neat kind of, uh, where it'll put the picture of the actor up and then the the uh, passport, the image of the past, the Canadian uh, passport, the fake passport that they use mm-hmm. um, and getting out. So it kind of goes through, you know, the the six members there um, and Tony, you know, with their fake passports alongside of them. And then um, you'd mentioned it kind of at the top, right? It'll show like an actual like photograph from the time and then like the recreated image for the film um, and just how... <laughs> how close and the attention to detail in them yeah. was it's it's really great and then uh probably my my well I don't know if it's my favorite part but something I thought was really cool is it kind of does like this voiceover of an interview with uh President Jimmy Carter kind of right after you know after they de- declassified this mission and he's talking about it and he said you know I was I was president when this happened so I really tried to take some credit for it but I really didn't have anything to do with it it was all Tony, you know, Tony did, did all of this and uh, set it all up and got it on his own. And, you know, in the, uh, in the halls of history in the CIA, he's, you know, one of the, the top agents that the United States has ever had. So, um, you know, kind of, uh, kind of good. And Jimmy Carter is great. So anytime you get to hear him talk is always good. So. Yeah. I love me my Jimmy Carter. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's really, really great. And the, it kind of, the final, um, kind of scene that we see before things close out is um, Tony Mendez's son's bedroom, right? And he's, we're looking at pictures uh, and things on the wall and we've got all Mm -hmm. these like R2-D2 and he's got lots of Star Wars because remember Star Wars was everything as it should be. Um, And, but in the very back of uh, this shelf, there's a, um, there's one storyboard of a father and a son flying through space. And it's the one thing Tony kind of kept. <laughs> he wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to, he was supposed to turn everything over um, because this is a classified mission, right? Um, but he didn't, he gave it to his son. And in the bottom left corner of that uh, storyboard is the word Argo, because that's the movie that they tried to make. And um, I really love that scene. Um, there's no acting in it or anything, but I just, the it's just very... I don't know. It gives me all the feels. Um, mm-hmm. 
yeah. So, so that's, that's kind of how this, this film ends. Um, there's just a lot of emotion. The last 20 minutes um, are not for the faint of heart, no. <laughs> but it is, I would say it was such a feel good film. Um, and it did stand up so beautifully against so many others. 2012 was a very tough year for Oscars because there were uh, for the Academy Awards, because there were so many worthy films, but I was so glad to see this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a really great film. Now, I'd seen it um, back around release time when it mm-hmm. had come out. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's the thing about this story that that really sticks with you is just like the, you know, the last 15, 20 minutes of the film. And it's just, you know, your your heart has stopped because you uh, it's it's just so much tension uh, going on and the way they kind of weave it. And, you know, that's that's largely in part to the uh, the editing and the uh, writing. Uh, being so good, you know, and and weaving this tale and kind of these different storylines together, and you know that's something that I think both you and I really enjoy in films. So yeah, it's just it's just really great. Now I assume that you probably watched this around release time back because you would have been in full on Oscar mode for this one. I was in full on Oscar mode. Yep, I uh, I saw it really during release time, and I don't know if I've seen it since. Um, but it has definitely stuck with me as one of my favorite films of, of the teens, of the 2000 teens. Uh, you know, this this kind of rounds out our month of July, where we did a lot of movies that uh, we picked films that we thought really represented America well, of course, right? So we started with Independence Day and moved to Hidden Figures, then to... Apollo 13, and then mm-hmm. this one. And I, I think this one... Um, you know, they, they're all, they were all great. These four that we picked in different ways, but I really loved the way this made me so proud to be from the same place, um, that, that helped really partner with another country and not take the credit because it's not about the credit, right. It's about the people. Um, and really, you know, using all the things that does make America great, like, you know, our, respect for each other and respect for, for humanity, um, you know, using Hollywood to its advantage, right. Instead of, uh, you know, making fun of it as a butt of every joke, really, um, using all of these things to, to get people home. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was just, uh, it really rounded out the month. Um, no, it, it's a great film. I really think that, and again, because this is also based on a true story and it's, it's very well done. There's, I don't think there's a lot of alliteration in this for the sake of, of it being a film. Cause if you, when you look at interviews of, um, or you read the book, cause this is based on a book, mm-hmm. they really were, um, I mean, they cut it very close. They could, Tony Mendez could see, you know, as the plane is taking off, he could see that there were people in police cars and with guns, like chasing the plane to try and stop it. So that has got, that had to have been completely terrifying. And um, this was just to be depicted really well. That's a great film. And so if, if you've seen Argo, um, please tell us how you like it. Have an Argo uh, cocktail while you watch it. If you've not seen it, um, tell us how you like that. And also, you know, if you've got any other ideas of, of movies that made you really proud and patriotic around America, you know, uh, we'd love to hear that too. <laughs> As Americans, we can always use some good news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, 
gives you the good feelings. And if you're listening from outside of America, you know, give us some of uh, your favorite films about your country for sure, because we'd absolutely like to, like to check those out too. So, uh, yeah, let us let us know what you think about this one. Definitely make an Argo because it was delicious. It's worth you know a couple dollars for some cardamom to make that syrup, and it's super simple to do. So so make sure you uh, do that, and you know send us some pictures of it because we want to see those, and you can do that on our. Instagram and Twitter. It's at drink the movies and on facebook.com slash drink the movies. If you want pictures of our Argos or the written recipe or episode recaps or any of that good stuff, you can do that on our website, which is www.drinkthemovies.com. And after you go and whip one of these up, you probably want to go and check out the podcast uh, links and all of that good stuff. Michaela, where can they do that? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast distributor that will distribute Anchor Podcasts. If you do like us, I hope you hit that subscribe button um, so you get all of us uh, twice a week uh, for Lobby Bar as well as our main uh, main podcast events. And mm -hmm. um, if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review because that really helps us get all the Drink the Movie stuff out there. The more you, uh, the more you review, the more other people can hear and we can get our cocktails to the world. Yeah, absolutely. So, and speaking of cocktails, unfortunately, my Argo has run dry. And, you know, I'm in the mood to go whip up another one, make a fake movie, and uh, rescue some more hostages, Michaela. All right. Well, I'm not Tony Mendez, but I'll do what I can. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's, let's do it. And I guess we'll have to talk to everyone next time on... Drink, Drink the movies. The movies.